And open up your Bibles, please, to the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 9. We're in the second half of it tonight, picking it up in verse 15 tonight. If you remember last week, we said that we came to the conclusion as we looked at the verse 14, 1 through 14, it says those that preach the gospel should live by the gospel. Wouldn't it be great if that were the case? Wouldn't it be great if there were out on the street, even right now, hundreds of people out there sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ? I've had some time, obviously, I've been one of the things I've been afforded. Hold on a second. Let's try that again. One of the things I've been afforded over the last couple weeks, of course, is the privilege of being able to spend a little bit more time on the streets. And I saw something really interesting. I saw, I've seen some people uh, that are out there bringing Jesus to the streets. I mean, in ways that would be very different from, from the way I would. Um, there's some. There's a couple gals I saw today, Nigerian gals today, that were out there just singing. They were singing their um, beautiful Nigerian songs, <coughs> and <coughs> just praying. You know, I mean, from <coughs> where they're coming from, they're they're giving it, man. They're giving it, and and I, I it, it's. The, the only thing that breaks my heart, to be honest, is it appears to me that it's the, often it can be the more religious group of people that would be quicker to criticize than, than the actual, I mean, to be honest, it was like people are just stepping out of pubs and kind of looked and said, well, that's weird, but it's kind of cool. Uh, you know, this is, this is London and, and something different's interesting here. And we're going to look at something today and, and, and please understand that this isn't intended to be information we just simply agree with. <clears throat> because I've had a little bit of more more time, like it's <coughs> excuse me. <coughs> I have a tendency to process things by walking. I've learned, I think maybe it just takes a little bit more blood flow. Yeah, well please, thank you. Thank you very much. Um and I've been, and actually, yeah, yeah, go ahead, thank you. Um, and so I've had a lot more time to process. And when you look at a text like this, this is a really rough text, I'll be honest with you. And the reason it's a rough text is because, I, I think because I, because I know it. Uh, it isn't like, it's hard to understand. It's actually really, relatively simple. And, uh, well, here, let's just dive right in. Verse 15 says this. But I've used none of these things, nor have I written these things that it should be done so to me. And this is the idea. Remember when he said, hey, if we've sown spiritual things, speaking to the Corinthian church, Paul has has invested and he planted over roughly five years ago. And he says, you know, look, if we've sowed into you spiritual things, do you think that it's a crazy thing that we should ask for support from you? But then he turns in verse 15 and says, but I, I, I haven't used this. It's like, I, I have this opportunity, but I, I, I haven't used it. For it would be better for me to die 
then anyone should take make my boasting void. If I preach the gospel, I have nothing to boast of. Oh, thank you so much. Okay, thank you. If I preach the gospel, I have nothing to boast of, for necessity is laid upon me. Yes, woe is me. Not just woe to me, but notice woe is me. If I do not preach the gospel. If I do this willingly, I have a reward, but if against my will I've been entrusted with a stewardship, what is my reward then? Well, that when I preach the gospel, I may present the gospel of Christ without charge, that I might not abuse my authority in the gospel. May not abuse my authority in the gospel. For though I'm free from all men, I've made myself a servant to all, that I might win the more. To the Jews I became a Jew, that I might win Jews. To those who were under the law, as under the law, that I might win those who were under the law. To those who were without law, as without law, not being without law toward God, but under law toward Christ, that I might win those who are without law. To the weak I became weak, as as weak, that I might win the weak. I've become all things to all men, that I might by all means save some. Now this I do for the gospel's sake, that I may be partaker of it with you. Do you not know that those who run in a race all run, but only one receives the prize? Run in such a way that you may obtain it. And everyone who competes for the prize is temperate in all things. And now they do this to obtain a perishable crown. But we an imperishable crown. Therefore I run thus, not with uncertainty. Unless I fight not as one who beats the air. But I discipline my body and bring it under subjection. Lest when I have preached to others, I myself should have become disqualified. Lord, I know you're here. And I know you're here, Lord, to do so much in each of our lives tonight. Get me out of your way. Settle our hearts and our minds in such a way, Lord, that you utterly captivate us tonight. Lord, let this be so much more than just information. Let this be so much more than just a night where we come in and we have our time we sung we've prayed we're going to get we're going to open up your bible here and we're expecting stuff to be said and i just don't want to walk out of here the same as i came in and it wasn't like i came in here bad i just don't ever want to be in a place where i'm not growing and i i have faith god that you could tonight make us all this. But Lord, for that to happen, I know you're going to need to grab the defibrillator or the shock panel or whatever it's going to be necessary, Lord, for us to to be honest with ourselves and let your Holy Spirit do what he wants. I pray for every place where there is encouragement necessary, that encouragement would be granted. And every place where challenge be necessary, let there be challenge granted.
within this text. Lord, don't overwhelm us unless it's with your goodness. But Lord, please give us the, just the trust that you're going to do amazing stuff now. So Lord, I surrender myself. Immerse me in your Holy Spirit. Come upon me that you would do through me what I cannot do otherwise. And speak fluent every one of us. Don't let there be a single one of us, Lord, that doesn't hear what your spirit would say to this church tonight. And I thank you, Lord, for the honor and the privilege and the blessing of being able to serve here. And I thank you, Lord, for how clear your word is. May it be clear to our hearts and not just our minds tonight, I pray. And may we, Lord, truly receive the work you want to do tonight. In Jesus' name. Amen. I would say tonight, as it would any, please don't just believe me. Don't just assume it's true because I say so. Let the Bible be your final say. Search the scriptures. And what I mean by that is be in the Bible and get all your answers from it. Not in some way where you're trying to have, you have an idea and then try to find a scripture to support it. Read the Bible and let the Bible teach you. So that you're not going, well, I know it looks like it says that, you know, right is east, but I think right is west. Well, don't, if it says that, then that's what it is. Paul says, no, I've used none of those things. I'll use none of the opportunities that I had or what would even seem to be a right. In God's economy, every authority is matched with responsibility and every responsibility is matched with authority. God would never want to grant one without the other. Paul sees a sense of responsibility to these churches, and with that comes an authority to accomplish the things God has given him. And what seems to be... Oh, well, we, we have a really rare opportunity here with First and Second Corinthians, because what seems to be the case is that, and it happens in every church, that some form of whisper campaign has begun in Corinth. The whisper campaign always happens when the person you're talking about isn't there. Because you couldn't really develop what you need to develop. I've heard it said that gossip is what you would never say in front of the person and flattery is what you would never say anywhere else. And the church is starting to talk about Paul. Paul is poor, apparently. I mean, in comparison to some of these other guys who have come into town. Who seem to be really big on the word faith thing. If you think that's new, it's, Paul had problems with it back then. Paul isn't well. That's been fun. You know, it's, I have to be careful what I pray because I've prayed, Lord, let me understand Paul a little bit better and then I've had eye trouble ever since. I've got to stop praying that before I get beat up a lot out there or something and chased out of town. And for people that have been taught now, not by Paul, but by those who have followed after him, that God's blessing is all monetary, physical, earthly. If your God's the God of this earth only, then perhaps, but since our God is a God of eternity, 
I'm so thankful that the treasures that God gives last well beyond this Titanic we're on. And so there's a lot of people and they're talking. And by the way, as they talk, Paul is starting to learn who his friends aren't. It'll be interesting. By the time that we get to 2 Corinthians, Paul is just flat out hurt. This is a church he loves. He planted. And they've just all gone out and said, you know, who do you think you are? And I, I, I can I don't even want to think about how hard that would be as somebody who loves people and invests in them. But, I, you know, we talk about it in the ministry. Having your heart broken is not something you can protect yourself from. It's something that comes with the course. It's with it. And you gotta, you just got to trust God heals you. That's just the way it works. You let your heart get broken over and over and over again. And to be honest, it isn't the worst part of what you get to do. The good news is you get the privilege of being able to see God as your healer often. But by the time that Paul will get to the last of his letters, Timothy, 2 Timothy, roughly 66, 67 AD when Paul's about to be killed. Paul said when he first stood before Nero, he said nobody stood with him except the Lord. And I wonder what that would be. Think about all the churches that God used Paul to plant. And that a single one of those people ever stood with him. And that just tells you something. When it got down to it, when push came to shove, as much as the people were, we love you, Paul, and they cried and they hung on his... I mean, you read in Acts how they hung on his neck and they wept when he left the place. Elders that he just exhorted with tears in his eyes. When it comes down to it, sometimes you really just... It isn't about gathering your posse. It's about trusting the Lord because he's the one person you can trust will never leave you. And that doesn't mean you stop loving each other. It's like you love each other. You just don't put chains on people and expect anything from them. You can't. Because people are just human and human people are faulty. But the scary part about this text isn't that. We just have the privilege of kind of having saw the sequel movie before this one, if that makes sense. You kind of know where this is going to go. Historically. The scary thing is, is what it is he's really emphasizing here. The only people I have heard, or I should say the vast majority of people, whoever try to quote any part of this text, never use it for what, the, what it's intended. The idea is simple. I should be able to go out, have a few drinks, go out to the clubs and the pubs and go and do my thing because Paul said he was all things to all men. That's the context people try to play this whole thing on. Do you know the one word he uses five times in this text is the word win? That I might win some. 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 Save some. And so we can acknowledge, and I, I just want to be transparent with you. We can acknowledge that's what's being said and we can agree on the information. It stares us in the face as our Bibles are open. When was the last time you tried to win anything? Where it was something that took investment, that took effort, that took sacrifice. I'm asking that to me as well. You see, that's what I've had the privilege 
of walking out for the last couple of days, and I'm not done with it yet, I'll be honest. I know what it's like raised in a, posi- in a position I was, you know, where it's not about mildly winning. You don't win by points, you knock out. You annihilate, you dominate. That's kind of the idea. I was raised in that mindset. And I'll be honest, I was actually pretty thankful. I was thankful for the idea that there was never just a... I've kind of lived with a good is not good enough. Do you have better? What's best? What's best? You train. So, so I started asking, as I was reviewing, and I'm just walking you through a little bit of my journey over the last couple of days, just to be honest, to hand it to you as a present that you might be careful if you want to really unwrap with me. And I thought about, well, okay, what did I do? It consumed my time. It consumed my plans. Everything else worked around it. I got up early. I went to bed late. As an athlete, I did my homework. I went to see who was the best and saw what to pull from it. And I practiced. I made sure my form was as best as I could make it. I modified it to my own strengths and tried to make sure that I was very careful to absorb my weaknesses. As a musician, I did the same. You can always tell a musician or an artist they dress different, they talk different, they think different. A dancer, the way they move. It's so much more than they dance, they step off the stage, and that's it. What would it be like if you were an Olympic Christian? What would it be like if I was one? There's some of you we can't play card games with because you're so competitive. Or basketball could be a very dangerous place. Some people will compete over the strangest of things. But somewhere inside of you is this desire to do it better. To do it. To dominate. And of course it becomes really funny because some of the things you dominate are like you dominate at knitting. In the knitting world, you are sensei. And the only reason I say that, and maybe you're not that kind of person, but I've always been, not as a knitter, but in regards to whatever it is I really want to do great. And then I came to the Lord, and I knew that sort of having that competitive, striving mindset was kind of, I knew that kind of, to, I want to do it, you know, that would be weird, right? Oh, I'm going to pray more than you, or I'm going to go share with more people than you, and oh, I'm going to memorize more scripture. And we knew that was kind of goofy. But what if we were just Team Jesus? What would the world see? Would they see any training? Would they see any sacrifice? Would we get up earlier, go to bed late? Or are we people that just are okay with it because we've hedged our bets in regards to heaven? Please understand, I'm talking to me here. Because I'm not doing what I should. When I think about what it would be like, and Paul, the way he says it here is so beautiful. 
Because in the end of it all, it, the focus is on, well, well, what's the most important thing to win? And for Paul, and it, can I just say it should be for all of us? It's not an argument. It's people. So how do I go into training for people? What do I sacrifice for people? If we were really Team Jesus, what would that look like if we were the Olympic Team Jesus? you know what's really crazy is how we all kind of get this idea somehow we could live this mamby-pamby mediocre stupid selfish plastic shallow Christianity and somehow still expect Jesus to look us at the end and say well done good and faithful servant how could we respect him if he tells me that when I know I was neither Good nor faithful. Now I'm not talking about absolving grace. I'm talking about where I know that I shouldn't even be on the team with the effort I could give sometimes. As a coach, I know what it's like. Hey, look at you're sick all the time, you're off the team. That's not to punish you, but somebody else should wear the jersey who's not sick. Now, that's not trying to be mean. The reason I say that is there's always a reason not to give your all. But in all of that, no reason is great because even if you're less, you can give the all you have. And for some people, at at half, their all is better than someone else's all in whole. If I were honest, how many times could I honestly say, I've given 80%, 70% when it comes to, to, to winning people. I, mean, I can give you an occasion or two and tell you how and, and the investment it will take in some place where you'll go and, and I'll frequent it just to develop relationships and stuff, but... Listen to Paul. You don't you don't have to hear me. In verse 16 he says, "If I preach the gospel, I have nothing to boast of. Necessity is laid upon me." God's made it so Paul can't not preach the gospel. Jeremiah, by the way, had a pretty rough go at it. You're probably familiar with him. No one would buy his evangelism books because nobody ever got saved through his ministry. It wasn't really. He, it was interesting because God heralds him as one of the most faithful men, and yet in that we never see anything that we could gauge as results. He would be an utter failure. He would be fired, and he knows what it's like to hit the hit rock bottom on that. I'll be honest to tell you, I've never been where Jeremiah has been here. Just know this. I, I hear this a lot, and I, I call it the Jeremiah twenty, you know, as regards to the syndrome because this is what he does here. But it's um. There are some guys that you're like, oh, my resignation was at my desk and I just, I was an inch away from, like, I have never, I've never, honestly, for a second not loved what I get to do. So I've never been like, oh God, we're done with this. I've never been there. I've never been there. 
I can't even fathom that world. Now, I know some people, that's the way they're made up. I'm made up different, but, but I understand Jeremiah, though, he was one of those guys. And this is what he said in Jeremiah 20, verse 9. Jeremiah said, I'm not going to make mention of him, nor speak any more in his name. He got to this point where he was just so tired. He spoke and people beat him up. He spoke, they tied him up and threw him until he, until he wasted away in a pit so deep in mire and muck that they had to take a guy, by the way, and I just love this story, where they took a guy, and his name, by the way, means servant of the king, Abimelech. And he has to go, and he doesn't just take ropes. You can't just take ropes and pull the guy out of the pit with it. You'd rip his arms off because he was so skinny by that point. They had to take rags and wrap the rags around the, the ropes so that it could keep him from, from killing him just to try to rescue him. And you know what's crazy? I'm, I'm confident as I look around the room, and I don't know all of your stories, but I'm confident that none of us have experienced what Jeremiah has experienced. And Jeremiah says, man, I'm done. I'm so done with this. But that's not the end of the story. Because then the next word is but. That's good news when the first part's bad. His word was in my heart. Before I go even farther, you realize that was the problem with Jeremiah. Jeremiah couldn't quit. And the reason was is that your calling is not something you grab a hold of. Your calling is something that grabs a hold of you. Your God is not something you grab a hold of. Your God is one who grabs a hold of you. You fall into that embrace and learn to love it. He says, but his word was in my heart like a burning fire. Shut up in my bones. I was trying to hold a fire back. In other words, the reason that he says this is that Jeremiah literally tried to, he tried. He tried to stop. Do you get it? He couldn't give you this experience he had if he didn't try to stop it. He's like, I said, I'm done. I'm, I'm done. I'm done with this. I'm so done with this. I mean, the politics, I'm done with this. The people, I'm done with this. The, the back talk and the, the crazy gossip and, the, and they're just, the, you know, no matter how much you can invest in someone your whole life and they just, they still have no concept of your character or whatever it is. And it's just crazy how that goes. And he's like, I'm so tired of all of that. I'm done. And then he's like, but, but the moment he shut his mouth, something, he goes, I, I he goes, and, and I love this statement he says afterwards. He says, I was weary of holding it back and I couldn't. I just kept trying and I couldn't hold it back anymore. When Peter and John are brought before the religious leaders in Acts chapter 4, by the way, please, I challenge you because I'm going to give you sort of a paraphrase of it just because of the way that the Lord has shown it to me. But you read it to make sure you know exactly what it says so that you're not just getting my interpretation of it. But they're, they're called before. Peter and John are called before the religious leaders. And, they, and it's interesting because they only tell them to stop doing one thing. They told them to shut up about the name of Jesus. And, and I, I have to ask this. And I'm asking me as well as you. If those same religious leaders were here today, how many of us, through the course of a week at all, would have been brought before them? Or would they just be able to say, well, that person's no threat. 
I'm not talking to have you done nice things. I'm not talking to have you read. I'm not talking to have you prayed. You see, what they said was interesting. Is What they didn't say but said, if that makes sense. What, this is the part that I get out of what the Lord's showing me. is as if they were to say, I don't mind you guys hanging out in your little churches. I don't mind you guys wearing your little shirts and your amulets and, and all those things and singing your little songs and joining hands and doing kumbaya and all that stuff. I really don't mind that because it doesn't trouble me. Just shut up about the name. Because the name changes things. The name does stuff. And, and, and you can do all your other little stuff. Grab your hymn books and kneel and do your stuff and put your stained glass out. And you know, we'll turn it into a pub sooner or later. Don't worry about it. Just shut up about Jesus. And this was their response. And I kind of almost hear it like they're from like Jersey. They're like, well, looks like we're in imposition here. Got the choice to either serve God or serve you. I'm going with God. And they say this. For we cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard. It's like, hey, I can't stop it. You're talking to the wrong guy. I can't stop it. In Sicily, Mount Etna erupts pretty close to daily. And it's not much of a threat to the people because it's so constantly flowing. But I'm told in the center of the South Pacific that we may have new landscape on our map soon because there are volcanoes that don't do that, so they're ready to explode like Jeremiah did. My prayer for every one of you is that you would explode if you want to keep it down. And by that way, my prayer is for me that too. So when someone says, why are you so happy? And the real answer is Jesus. May God kick us all hard enough until it falls out of our mouth joyfully. Because no other name is given among men by which we must be saved. And Paul says, necessity is laid upon me. Woe to me, woe is me, if I don't preach the gospel. If I do it willingly, I have a reward. Because that means that I'm volunteering for this thing and there's a result of that. But if it's my calling, I get the privilege of being faithful. I've been entrusted with a stewardship. Listen, if God lays it upon you, He is entrusting with you the most important information in the universe. I want you to think about that. To the most important thing in the universe. The most important message, the gospel. The most important thing, people, we have the stewardship of the most important thing to the most important thing in the universe. Nothing is more important than people and no message is more important than the one we have. And I'd rather have some person that looks crazy out there singing to a cassette tape than I sit silently and mock it. What's my reward then? That I would preach the gospel. When I preach the gospel, I would present the gospel of Christ. This is verse 18, without charge. And not abuse my authority. In 1 Peter, it tells us to be careful to know the state of your flock. Chapter 5. And then in verse 3, it says, Not as lording over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. 
I, I've spent the whole day just on that one word. Not doing a word study. Not going to try to, to have a six-hour dissertation on the word. You know what's really weird? God has entrusted you to me. What does he know that I don't? Because I don't know how great of a choice that is. And Peter, I mean, and, but I mean, Peter's writing. He's <laughs> like, man, you should know the state of your flock. Be attentive to it. Know your flock. Can I just say, this is one of the reasons why I have a really, really hard time with that whole satellite campus, watch it on a movie thing. If all church is is going and watching a guy teach, if that's all it is, I get it, but it's not. But if, you know, and just know this, if this church grows numerically, we're going to start finding places and start planting churches. That's the whole goal. With pastors. Not me. I'm one. I'm one guy. We talked on Sunday. You're aware of that in regards to the necessity of greater Levites with greater fellowship. But he's like, man, you've been entrusted. You've been entrusted with the most... Like, and I think, what would that be like? And I think, I've entrusted my children with people. Nothing else matters. You drive a lorry through our house and destroy every instrument I ever owned. It doesn't mean anything compared to any, either of my children. I can't think, wow. I look at you guys. My God, make me faithful. Make me somebody that's an example. And then make you one too. Because whether you know it or not, you all have little brothers and sisters and some of them are around the room that are looking at you. It's interesting because he goes from that then to this whole point. He goes, listen, though I'm free from all men, in other words, I don't have to let someone else make my rules, Scripture does. I've made myself a servant to all. Before anyone else wants to take any of this other stuff and take it in some form of nonsense, rubbish direction, that statement should basically kill it all. And the statement's this, I've made myself a servant to all. Don't tell me how you're serving somebody by going out and getting wasted. Don't say, well, everybody has sex in this particular group of people. I'm going to run around and have sex with them. Because after all, wasn't Paul a Roman, Roman to the Romans? Is that a servant to anyone but yourself? Paul says, I've made myself a servant to all because all I really want to do is win. And I get that Paul was like that even before he was saved. Paul, when he talks about his testimony in Philippians 3, he talks about it and he says, by the way, he goes, I exceeded all my contemporaries. In other words, Paul's like, man, when it came to studying, when it came to all that kind of stuff in school, I made sure I was valedictorian. I made sure I was the guy. And then he got saved. Do you really think at that point it's time to kick off all of that and just sit around and just... Do nothing? Paul's like, you know what? God took a guy that really wanted excellence and he just turned him and he turned the excellence to something else. And I think, when was the last time? It's like, okay, so what woke, what woke me up early? It's like, when was the last time? I'm like, you know, the greatest achievement I've gotten lately is I got a new high score on a video game. I'm, you know, on my phone now, I'm on level 16. That's it? That's an accomplishment? 
that's what I won? Well, maybe I'll get a promotion because I'm really working ahead. I'm not saying you shouldn't do that. But what's the most important thing to win? Because in the end of it all, we could win everything and have nothing to show for it. So look at this, what I've learned from this. Look at what it says. I've become a servant to all that I might win some. Do you know one of the things I do to win, I serve? That's what he says. I serve to win. Look at it, I'm not trying to win arguments. I want to win you to Christ. I don't want to just win you to like, great, you're saved, let's move on. This is not a sales pitch. I want to win you to the place where you are so rabid, fanatically in love with Jesus, with total abandon, that nothing else that everything is in its proper proportion and nothing else will have its hand on you. But why would, why would I expect that of you if I don't want that of me? But can I just say there's something else of it? When I fall in love with Jesus and I'm in the zone, my heart breaks because I don't want to think about hell. But how selfish would it be at all to think, I'm not going to think about it at all because after all, I'm not going there. While I walk around people all day and if I had just a glimpse of it, I would be ruined. I'd be scarred for life. How about you? Do I have any part of me? I've heard someone say, or quoted, if we're not concerned about people going to hell, why should they be? We should be the people more than anyone torn up over it because we're the only ones, to be honest, I think are really aware that it's real. And I'm going to serve to win. It says, to the Jews I became as a Jew that I might win Jews. You know what else I did? I submitted to win. What did I submit? To a Jew, you know what that means? You're going, if you're going to go and share with a vegetarian and that's an issue of conviction, don't go out and smack down a big old steak. I have learned to swallow, notice I didn't use the word drink, coffee. Because for some, that opens the door to share Jesus. I'm fairly convinced I'll stand before the Lord and the Lord will say that was a sacrifice. For some of you, you're like, just here I am, Lord, send me, right? I'm, I'm, you'll be sent to whatever you don't like. You know, get the idea, whatever. But anyways, the, it's like, and, and the idea of it, it's like people that have a standards, it's like we want to argue over something that keeps us from getting the gospel to them. I mean, at the end of it all, if the only thing that really matters is the cross to, an, to a lost person, why would we want to get all the other stuff to them first? I mean, okay, so what if somebody roots for your rival in football? Should they go to hell for it? Now, you know, I, I'm not saying, you know, hate your colors, but I'm saying make sure that you don't put that first. And we can do that for all kinds of things. We can do it because of the way that we're, our status, our social status. We can do it because we think they're cute and we're not or the other way around. But for a Jew, they were one with very strict laws. And because they were somebody under very strict laws, you know what that means? If we're going to go, for instance, to a Muslim country, and there's some that are like that, my wife and I are going to sleep in different beds. I don't like that. Even though we're married. And the reason is, is my wife's going to be up all night talking to the girls. I'm going to be up all night talking to the guys. Because I'm not talking to the girls because, or she's not talking to the guys because in some cultures that would be really wrong. 
because we're submitting to the rules, not in regards to anything that denies Christ. But I don't want anything to get in the way because the bottom line is, how do you win if you can't even compete? It's like, at least get me on the field. And for some of you, can I just say this on the encouraging side of that? I'm seeing this with some of you. I'm seeing how you're doing this. Hey, when you love someone, you learn. You go after them. And you know, whether you know it or not, Hugo is like fluent in Italian. He learned it a year. He's been at, he's been at it a year. Guess how long he's been with Deborah? Yeah, do you think he learned Italian because he thought it was beautiful? Now he thinks it is. He has to say it now. He's next to Deborah. I mean, you know, what is, I mean, you're sitting down with somebody. Learn hello, goodbye, and thank you in their language. Start with that. You're sitting with the Japanese. Don't take your, you know, your, your chopsticks and shove them into the food and let them sit up because it, it reminds them of their, you know, their dead ancestors. That's that kind of, that kind of stuff, right? That you like, you want to be careful about. And you're like, you know, it's like, I like to sit with people because I'm fascinated. I go, tell me like the things that are really bad to do in your society. And I better write them down because I'm probably going to be accountable now that you're telling me. Putting your shoe over your, your leg, you know, to kind of cross your leg so the bottom of your shoe shows to some people is a horrible insult. Not granted you're in London, you think they'll get past it, but what would be if they knew that you knew that you would, you're purposely not doing it just because you wanted to make sure that you were trying to meet them on their turf? It opens a door, is the point. To those who were under the law, is under the law, then I might win those who were under the law. Nobody wants to take that part. I would rob myself of freedoms I believe I have because to be honest, why would I? Hey, somebody has a real problem with watching movies? It's like, you know what? I, there's no possibility I'm going to watch a movie with you. I wouldn't say, oh, come on, get over it, watch a movie. That's silly. I'd rather meet you where you are. It's like, well, what in the world are we going to do? I don't know, but we're going to figure it out. The bottom line is, it's like, I want to make sure I meet them where they are. That's the whole point of it. If I love you enough, I will go to where you are as long as it's not a sinful place. And then he says, to those who are without the law, as without the law, but notice it says, not being without law toward God. Do you realize what that says? What Paul says is, just because somebody lives a lawless life does not mean I can go and live a lawless life with them to win them. I have to make sure I'm always under the law of Christ. Well, they're going to think I'm a dork. I'm going to think I'm going to nerd. I'm a geek. Well, the crazy thing is, all those terms are popular now. People are wearing it all over their shirts. So it can't be that horrible. It's like, you know what? I'm sorry. I'm not going to go to a strip club with you to talk about Jesus. Well, that's the only place we're going to meet. No, we'll meet somewhere else. But people try to play that. It's like, I'm not winning anyone. I'm not going there because I would win. I want to win you to Christ, not to me. If you, you know, if you're like, this guy's just a lunatic, but you fall in love with Jesus, it'll be greater success than the opposite. To the weak I became as the weak. Now, what does that mean? Well, according to Romans, which we read before this, if you remember, a person with weak conscience does, has very specific high standards in regards to areas, and a lot of things are a sin to them. A weak conscience individual, by the way, they may be like, I'm not really sure that ping pong is sinful. Or I'm not really sure. I, you know, I, 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 can't, I won't watch any, you know, movies, or I won't watch, or only watch this, or whatever. And I'm not. And God never makes fun of them or says anything horrible about them. The bottom line is, He says you have an opportunity to honor somebody who may have a higher conviction than you do. Honor it. 
Some people don't show their hair. That's part of their conviction they've been raised with. Some people don't show their toes. Some people shouldn't show their toes. Uh, you know? I mean, I do think it's strange when it's like the whole idea of his modesty and cover up your hair, but then you've got like six inches of makeup on. But that's another story. But, but in that, it's like, you know, whatever it is, I want to make sure that we honor whatever the standards are that are laid before us. Because those conscriptions, by the way, anything I do to go, hey, the moment I go into that, pla- into that place and I do something that shuts you off, well, then I've lost, right? That's the point. Would I, would, would I be willing to go, in, to go into training? Now, we are, let's face it, we are in a country right now. We are in a city, not as much the country, but we are in a city because there's no dedicated culture because there's so much that's so cosmopolitan that, you know, what becomes then the everlasting theme, so to speak, the prevailing theme is tolerance, right? I mean, if there's a dedicated culture, then they sort of impose whatever the standards are. But when there isn't one and it's all diverse, well, then what becomes the, the sort of standard in all of that then is, is tolerance, and so everyone's like, well, we should just be able to tolerate everybody for whatever until, of course, they start hacking somebody up or whatever. And it's like somewhere in all of that, how do I kind of sort of, you know, try to show that Jesus isn't just the great spoil sport? But I, and one of the things is I always try to make sure that I show that Jesus is the God of instead of and not just the God of nots. So it's like, so what, like you don't, like you don't drink? I'm like, no, I'll be honest, I don't drink, but I, I have no desire to. And the reason is because I never want to be in a place where someone would be questioning coming up to me or I could give someone else a reason to sin by them going, well, he does it, so I might as well. When they have a problem with it, I just always want to be able to go to the person who's struggling under any circumstances. Now, I can't tell you, I can't universalize that. That's where it becomes legalism. But I can say this, that I want to make sure that I can give an instead of. You know, instead of that, by the way, I have other things that I do instead. And the moment I do that, I'm able to at least give them something to compare. I've never woken up the next day with a headache from God's instead of. Now notice, by the way, what he's trying to win and what his tool is. Verse 23, listen, now this I do for the gospel's sake. Don't miss this. See, this is, what if this were really the case? Listen, most important message in the world is the gospel. Most important thing in the world is people. You already possess one of them. If God brings you the second, the goal, the mission is to unite them. I'm not even telling you that. In in the end of it all, listen, winning, hear me, hear me, hear me, please. Winning is just uniting those two things and giving them a choice. Because whether they say yes or no, getting the privilege of being able to lay that out for someone is victory. Then the rest of it's whether they're victorious or not. Hey, Jesus died for your sins. It's grace. He's offering it as a gift. Died for your sins just as Scripture promised. Was buried. Rose again on the third day just like Scripture promised. And he was seen by a lot of people and wants to be the Lord and Savior of your life. Will you give him permission? You have a choice. That wasn't very difficult, was it? Let's face it. You can say that to a total stranger. Now, some people do. Some people can approach a total stranger and, and they'll get saved. I mean, I've learned this. Why, you know, it's like it's, I, I, it's hard for me to think about handing out tracts when you'd be standing next to six other guys that are giving you vouchers for McDonald's and two for one tapas and, you know, all the other things on the way. And then it's like you're the next thing. And then you don't even have a voucher with your thing. You know, it's like a get out of hell free ticket at the end or something, you know. It's, it's like, well, at least with this one, I can get a burger or whatever. And the reason I say this, like, I, I just want to be able to get beyond that to people so that I can honestly say, can we just sit down for a moment? And I just, can I just say, look, it's very simple. It's this. This is the beginning of life right here. 
It's two things. It's God's love and your will. And the moment those two things unite, there's a whole new life that happens. And God just wants that. He wants to give. He wants your permission. That's what he wants. And if they say no, it's like, you know, the good news is they could say yes later, but at least they know they have a choice to make. And I'm like, well, that was victorious. I'm going to walk out of that saying, thank you, Lord. We have no idea how many people will say yes to Jesus later on. And we, when you stand before him, they'll go, oh, Jeffrey shared this and I said yes. And Jeffrey will be like, who in the world is that person? And it's like, oh, I was you know, at this one thing and Jeffrey said it once. But the, the gospel is the gospel and the Holy Spirit's still the Holy Spirit. And Jeffrey doesn't have to be there when the Holy Spirit finishes the work. The same way that sometimes if the seed is thrown out, you may not be back to that field. But if it's still growing, it's still growing what if we were there where tonight God put an importance on that Uh, well I have to say he is right we're in the text and he is look at how this closes up because there is a command in this don't you know that oh there's a lot of people who run in the race right but although all the people run in a race only one's going to really get the gold medal here's the command Run in such a way that you may obtain it. When was the last time we ran? I'm not just even talking about running to win it. When was the last time we ran at all? We're like, man, I want that. I'm going to run after it with Shirley. I'm going to run after it with that guy at the music store. I'm going to run after it with person I work with. I'm going to run after it at the person that's next to me in class. I'm going to run after it. Hey, the bottom line is, if you don't win the race today, then you train more, right? You've been sitting next to the person, you're starting to develop a relationship, not so they can think you're awesome, but that sooner or later you can win by just saying, can I lay this before you and so you can make a choice? Hey, you know one of the reasons why some of those terrorists, and I'm going to say the word flat out, terrorists, are so successful is because some of those things took 10 years to plan. That's dedication. Hey, there was a guy who blew up a bunch of people in Israel. The Israeli police arrested him. A former American president, I don't want to say who because we're not going to bring it up, released him for some form of wacky idea that somehow this is going to bring about world peace, moved him to America. The guy then learned how to fly planes, got a pilot's license, and then flew a plane into the World Trade Center. That was a 15-year process. Well, 7 to 15 years. That guy was dedicated. Now, I'm not saying what he was dedicated to was good. But man, if evil's that dedicated, how come we aren't? Don't we have the, aren't we the good side? So the bad guys come into town, they shoot up the saloon, they kill all the people, but the sheriff still hasn't gotten up yet. What if tonight God just said that? Tomorrow morning, I'm on. Run in such a way you're going to win. And let God put one person on your heart. Tomorrow morning, God says, here's your person. Run in such a way you're going to win this one today. Daniela, run in such a way. Lamar, run in such a way. Hugo, run in such a way. 
You know what's going to happen, though? There's going to be someone next to you that's going, come on, Christianity, I'm an older Christian than you are. This is what it looks like. And you know what it looks like? It looks like standing on the track. Come on, we're on the track. You're on the track. I'm on the track. I've got shoes. You've got shoes. They're trainers. By the virtue of being called a trainer, you should ask someone, what are you training for? They're trainers. What are you training for? Training for standing. They're very comfortable for standing. Padding on the bottom. Padding is to help with the impact when you're running. Remember when you were on fire and some guy stood next to you or some girl stood next to you and said, oh, come on, mellow out, man. Because you were actually running to win it. But then you're like, oh, well, that guy's not really running. Well, what's pretty safe is that's one guy that's not going to win the prize. That's one less guy win. What I love about running is you're not busy looking around to see who is. You should be just, your eyes should be so intent on the prize. That's the one thing you're looking at and you're just huffing it. And this is how he says it. This is how we conclude it. There's two things. Everyone who competes for a prize is tempered in all things. They do this to obtain. He goes, isn't this the strangest thing? Look how hard these people work so they could get a gold medal. So they, and back in those days, they got a wreath that the best thing you could do at the end of it all in a month was pull off the leaves and put them in your soup. Because they were a laurel leaves or bay leaves. Like, you, you know what you had in a month? Twigs. Twigs and a bay leaf. And look at how hard they worked for that. And you have a permanent crown. We get this baby and it never turns into twigs and a bay leaf. What are we doing for it? Oh my goodness. How strange that is. People work so hard for something. They held this thing. Does not Oscar look like an idol? It's a guy. It's a gold guy. And they're holding on to it. People are like, do you want to feel it? Do you want to feel it? Imagine what it's going to be like when I stand before heaven. And they're like, where's my Oscars? He's like, you don't have those here. You are an actor. But acting, another word for that is hypocrite. That's what the word means. It's just people work so hard with passion and purpose for a prize that isn't permanent. And we should have more passion and more purpose because our prize is permanent. Shouldn't we? So he says, look at I don't run with uncertainty. Could you imagine? The gun goes off, the gates are open, or you're on the blocks. You go off and you just start running around in circles because you're not really sure where in the world you should go. I'm just going to run any direction. And we do that with our Christianity. I'm just going to go wherever. I'll just do whatever. It doesn't really matter. I'm just going to be a Christian. There's no purpose. There's no passion. There's no intent on it. He's like, look at Two things he says here. He says, look at when I want to like, run, I run with purpose. I've got a direction in this. I'm going to run after this. I'm just going to hang on. And people do this. I'm just going to hang out with people and they're going to get saved. What, like through osmosis? Like you're going to sweat salvation and you're going to rub up against them? You're going to like magically blink and they're going to go under the charm of Christ? The gospel is what saves people. It's like, look at, run to it. Run to it. Not just, I just want them to say, you're a Christian, you're cool. Yeah, you know what? Don't just let them know about the fence. Let them know about the gate. This isn't when I fight. I don't want to fight as one who beats the ear. And a guy who's just kind of swinging it everywhere, that guy's going to go down quick. He says, but I discipline my body. And I bring it under subjection. The two words are discipline and domination. Because what I don't want is disqualification. He's like, you know what it would be like? And you know what? 
when Paul says that, he's not speaking to you. He's speaking to me. Are you aware of that? And I'll tell you why. Now, maybe he is, if the Lord's put you in that position. But the idea was, Paul's like, I've led a group of people. I, I sat there, and, you know, I, I, I taught, and they sat there, but in the end of all, wouldn't it be horrible if they all passed it, and I didn't? Because the information was true, but somehow it never made it to my pair of trainers. Just yours? That's like I'm a track coach, a running coach, but I'm the chubbiest guy. You know, you ever watch a track coach? Those guys, it's like they can still grab their spine from their stomach. You know, they're always like, oh, let's go, let's go run. For how long? Oh, like a year? Oh, <laughs> I'll meet you. I'm going to take the train. I'll see you there. But when it comes to being a coach, I recognize that. It's like I always wanted to play with my boys. Because I always wanted to be able to go out there. I wanted to be able to live it out, man. It's like, I don't want you guys to have all the fun. But I also don't want you guys to have no fun. But can I just say this? Look at If we were competing in anything, the greater the competition, the sweeter the victory. Isn't it true? I mean, there's something to be said if, if like, you're going to, you know, your goal is to get something from one place to the other and the guys keep getting bigger and bigger and bigger that want to stop you. And then you get there anyways. If you're playing a team of, like, elderly blind people, getting across to the other side is no great victory. But what if we played that out, like, as Christianity? I mean, how, why don't we share? Because we're afraid someone's going to give us a, a look. So there I was, I was playing, and, and somebody on the opposing team looked at me bad, and I said, wait a minute, hey, what's, what kind of game is this? Forget it, I'm done. Coach, take me out. Somebody trash-talked a little bit. They called me stupid, because I believe that God created stuff. Because, you know, they were there when everything evolved. Take me off the team said something bad about me. Man, when somebody starts doing that, why do you think they're doing that? To be honest, because they're intimidated. You aware of that? Raise is a competitor, man. Somebody looks at me and goes, man, I'm going to take you and feed you to this. I'm going to tear you apart and all that. And I'm like, wow. You're that scared, are you? Do you have to try to crawl into my brain? I mean, back then I'd be like, I ain't got one, so just keep looking around. So what is it that's keeping us? Because, man, if, if, if we really want to take the prize and we watch people come to know Jesus, we should at least love people enough to give them the dignity to say yes or no. Because how can I tell, you know, God loves everyone and he lives inside of me, but I really am, I could care less about you. I just would rather you just like me. Really? How does that work? Please understand, this is a message I'm going to have to, to listen to pretty regularly. Because I'm accountable for this too. This isn't to lay a heavy trip. Here's the problem. Until you ever take the field, you don't know how fun it is. The first time you take the field, I've seen people that once they take the field, you can't get them off. Because I'm like, you didn't tell me it was this much fun. And then a grass stain is like an accomplishment. Sweat's accomplishment. You come out of it, you're dinged up a little bit because someone had it in for you. You knew that that was an accomplishment. And you got past it anyways. Last story and we'll pray. All-state game. I was a, as a young kid playing American sport of football. And I agree with you, it shouldn't be called football either. It should be called soccer because we sock each other a lot more in that. But... Um, 
But in this particular one, there's the guy that runs and catches the ball out. It's called the wide receiver. We're on the, we're on the wide side of the formation. We run, and we're usually really skinny and tall. And we catch the ball and just run from the gigantic yetis that are chasing after us to land on us, stick their arms in our faces and all that. And the guy that's on the other side, you have this small area where they can make contact before you can get on it. That particular guy's called, a, well, one of them is called a safety, which is an ironic name because there's nothing safe about the guy if you're the wide receiver. And we're in the Aussie game, which means the guy on the other side was a really, um, he was obviously quite advanced at what he was doing. And, and, you know, when you're like 14, 13, 14, a guy that's like 17 is like an adult in comparison. And, and so this guy's there, and we get up to the, we get onto the line, and, they, and the play is as simple, it's called a flag streak. So you run really fast and hard, you hit a certain spot, and you cut in, and then just wait for the ball to kind of get there. Hopefully it'll land on you. And, and, but the problem is, is this guy's in front of me and he's, he's talking and he's making these noises. He's like, it's like, it's just like kind of, you know, whatever, just to kind of mess with my brain. And, you know, I'm like, whatever. This guy's just, okay. He's, he's, and, and the crazy thing is, is, I was always known as the, the lunatic. I was the crazy one. And so this guy's, act, you know, he's, he's doing his job well. But when we get to the point they hike and I'm up and I start to run, this guy takes, and what happened is he didn't have a hand on one of his sides. It looked like the end of a sausage. And what happened? He took this thing and he shoved it in my face mask. Like, and it freaked me out. I was like, ah, ah. And my coach was a bell ringer. And he was the, he was the coach at the time. It was like, and, and here's, there's a point to this, trust me. And it's like, he, would, he could actually slap your helmet. You had a football helmet. He would just like, bong, and he'd ring your bell. And he goes, you're the crazy one. He's so crazy, you. Who's that guy going to crazy you? Who are you? You forgot who you are. I never forgot that moment. I'm like, I forgot who I was. I'm like, that was, my, that was a strength for me. We came out at a halftime, and we were, man, that was it. I'm daydreaming the things I've planned, right? We take the hike, and we're going to run that same, we're run that same play now. I'm like, coach, please, 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 let's run that play. I just got to get this back. So the guy comes, and we, and we get up, we come up with this thing, and the guy goes, and he sticks his arm, and he's going to shove it in. I grab his arm, and, ah, and I lick it. And the guy goes, ah, boom! And the whole point of it is, is that there's somewhere in it, if we, if we actually are in that place where someone's look, someone's talk, someone's snicker, someone's conversation shuts us up, you forgot who you were! Don't you realize who you are? Your dad's the king of kings. Shouldn't they be jealous? My dad's got the kettle on a thousand hills and they're still fighting for a little piece of gristle. How shouldn't they be jealous? And somehow when we forgot who we were because they're going to out-crazy us. We tell them that it was a guy that lives thousands of miles away, died 2,000 years ago, rose again, got sucked up into the sky, loves us, calls us by name. We hear him, but we don't hear voices. And he's going to come down, suck us into the sky. And we're afraid that they're going to think that they're crazy. They should think we're crazy. It's true, though. That's the cool part. And one day, everybody's going to agree. We should all agree now. Because there's a confidence in knowing that. And when you forget who you are, you buy their garbage. They're rubbish. And they're like, well, I think, and I think, well, you can think whatever you want, but I have the truth. Wasn't well, that cocky? No, I also think I'm a boy. No, I don't think I'm a girl. I've never thought I was a girl. Isn't that cocky? No, it's just the truth. I think you're a girl trapped. No, don't even try to confuse me. I'm just a boy and it's all there is to it. I know the requirements. I fit them. I'm a boy. There you go. 
Truth is, when you're a boy, you're a boy. And the truth is the truth. You don't have to feel it. It isn't like, oh, I feel like a boy. The bottom line is the truth is the truth. And the truth is the truth. And the gospel is still the gospel. And the Holy Spirit is still the one who convicts. And I just want to pray that God would actually give us a hunger for the field. Man, cut grass still smells like a game to me. I mow the lawn and I want to go play something. I'm like, oh, she reminds me of, as a kid, how I used to play stuff. I want to go out and hit somebody and run around and carry something and throw something. And, which can be dangerous with my children around. And it's like, there's like, there's got to be that place, the smell of the oil or the, the sound of this. And you're just like, oh. And there was a time I used to look at steps and think that was awesome because I used to run up and down them all the time. Now I look and go, are you kidding me? 66 steps up to the top of that? Okay, we'll take the lift. I mean, what happened? What if we were like that spiritually, though, where we were like, you know what? Come on, coach, put me in. There's always one guy like that on the team, but as a coach, can I just say, oh, man, there's something cool about having people that are like, please, coach, put me in, please put me in. Versus the guy that's like, you know, when the coach looks over, they're like, mm-hmm, what position are you? Left out. That's the position I chose. Really? Is that what we want? Hey, but can I say this? I also don't want to be the coach that sends you to the field and sits on the sideline and has no concept how the game is played. I want to, you know, and I don't want to compare scars. What I want to be able to do is like, hey, you know what? Hey, people, you know this, man. Church is nuts. You know why? Because we're involved. People are faulty and people do crazy stuff. That's the glory in this. Beloved, could we just get back to that again? Making it about Jesus and then making it about people? Because, yeah, you're going to get dinged up. Consider it an honor if you're doing your job right. And every one of us is in a different position. That's how a team wins. If everybody were the goalie, nothing might not go in. Nothing might go in, but nobody scores. Everybody's got a position. It's not my job to even tell you what your position is. My job is to get you excited about loving the game so much you want to play. Most of the time, what you learn is you evolve into your position by getting out there. The hardest place to see what your position is, is on the bench. What if we just tonight said, Lord, okay, put me in. I want to go, wherever that is. Would you pray with me? Lord, would you please, I I just want to stand in the gap for myself and anyone here, Lord, that would be willing to amen. Lord, I just want to ask your forgiveness for where we could be quick to to think that that running is for a season or you know, I understand there are times where healing is necessary, but Lord, forgive us for ever looking for an excuse to not do what you've called us to. And somehow to think that you're going to improve of us being wimpy people because someone might give us a cross look or there might be some kind of talk or whatever. And look at, Lord, I, I just pray that, I, I, just, I get the idea that if, if we could just be so infected by you, we'd be contagious. So Lord, if we're not as contagious as we should be, would you infect us more, please? Would you infect us with you, infect us with that love for you, that it abandoned for you in such a way, Lord, so that people become important again because you've entrusted us with the most important thing in the world, with the most important message for them. 
And Lord, give us the privilege of really wanting to win where winning is important versus the perishable wreath that will mean nothing in the sight of eternity. For every accolade, every medal, every idol propped up with the best so-and-so will never amount to one word in the sentence of well done, good and faithful servant if it doesn't involve you. And forgive us for chasing after things which are so perishable at the expense of others. And Lord, I recognize if I put me before others, it will be at everyone's expense. So Lord, I pray tonight for every one of us, myself included, that you give us the time that will be necessary for us to walk through this in our heart and just to say, Lord, what's the next step you want to take me? I want to thank you, Lord, for those who have been brought out of, off the bench. I want to thank you for those who have been, been brought onto the bench and out of the bench. Those who've started, who've made the team. Because people were on the field where they should be. Lord, let us not... Let, please, 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 let us not ever focus on the opposition. But rather, keep our eye on the playbook. Keep our eyes on the coach. Keep our heart in the game where you want us to. And trust the power of your Holy Spirit to do the work. But the name of Jesus, may the name of Jesus never be forfeited. It's the ball. And without it, there's really no game at all. It's just running around for nonsense. So Lord, I pray that we would be this week so lit up with you, Lord, that it just happens supernaturally, naturally. Carve out of us, Lord, that which doesn't belong there so that, Lord, that there would be room for you to place and then do place your name there, your word there. Show us people differently tonight, tomorrow, Lord. Whoever we encounter tomorrow, show us differently in such a way, Lord, that we would say, let me win, Lord, with discipline, determination, passion and purpose to give each human being the dignity of at least knowing there's a choice to make to say yes to. And Lord, to trust your gospel is the power of salvation. Your Holy Spirit's still the one who convicts. But Lord, let us give the, the, the dignity of somebody at least to be able to say yes or no. And even if they don't say yes now, that doesn't mean they won't say yes later because they know there's a choice to be made. And you know how to confirm and bring evidence and justify and rectify and prop up everything that's necessary. And Jesus, I just want to thank you that you're, you're true, that your truth is the truth whether anyone feels it or not. And I don't have to defend you. I just want to represent. And Lord, I do pray that we would start again at the cross where Jesus, you died, where all of our sins were laid to rest where all of our guilt was paid, where all of our penalties were vanquished. You died, and just like Scripture promised, you rose again on the third day. And you offer us a new life, a life now where we have qualified for the team. And now, Lord, we'd, we were so fearful of what we think we might not know, but there's so much we'll never know if we don't take the field. Some of it we have to learn on it. 
most of it we have to learn on it. But get our get us in the playbook, Lord, and I thank you that we get to go straight through Scripture here. We can't avoid topics like this, which are, is a heavy subject, Lord, to walk through. But Lord, give us that determination and discipline. And Lord, for everything you've put before us, every job you've given us, Lord, every project you put us in, Lord, let us do them with great vigor, with greater excellence than any other human being would, Lord, so that the world would see, Lord, that what we do, we do well. Remove from us in any way the spirit of mediocrity. And Lord, let us never, ever disguise laziness and call it grace. Make us people who hunger for excellence because you gave us the very best. Father, you gave us the very best. You gave us Jesus. No angel would have qualified, but you could have killed something else. But you gave us your best. And I, don't, I do not want to give to you that which costs me nothing. So Lord... At the betrayal of my heart's wishes or anything else in the flesh, Lord, may I hand you my life right now. And Lord, use me, coach. Use me. Transform the world, I pray. Not because I'm awesome, but because you're awesome. And I just want the joy of being on the winning team. Thank you, Lord. Give me the pleasure, Lord, of that smell of that fresh-cut grass. And even in the strange way, the pleasure of those dings every once in a while to be reminded that this is a sport that's a contact sport. And because it is, we're going to brush against people. And because we brush against people, there is going to be dings and bumps and bruises. But Lord, let us not live in fear of them. But rather, Lord, let us know it's part of the game. And what that means is that there's an opposition out there. But Lord, we've already claimed victory in you. So, Lord, in that now, walk us forward, we pray. Confessing Jesus is our Lord and Savior, Lord, not because we have to keep doing it over and over, but just so that it could always be heard up from our own mouths. Be the Lord of our life, Jesus. Be our coach. Forgive us for where we're not training, where we're flabby, where we shouldn't be. And, Lord, never let us be in that place where we think that Good, well done, good and faithful servant belongs to somebody that has no servant heart at all, that doesn't serve at all, that isn't good nor faithful. But make us so, Lord, productive, a blessing, faithful servants. In Jesus' name, amen.